Okay, then today as we continue our studies in the book of Philemon, we are now going to verses 8 all the way to verse 16. And I want to read that uh, for you. So join me as I read Philemon from verse 8 onwards. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. And I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Death, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Father, thank you for your precious word. Uh, all of us loved your word and it's our desire that your word will become alive in each one of us. And Lord, I pray that as we study this very interesting story of a runaway slave and, and his master, we pray, Lord Jesus, that these words will become alive to us. May this be a word in season. May it instruct us on what it means to live a life that is in Christ. So we commit this time now to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Philemon actually tells the story of a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus stole from his master Philemon and after that, he went to hide in the city of Rome. And it was there that he crossed paths with the Apostle Paul who was actually under house arrest in Rome. And under Paul's tutelage, Onesimus came to know the Lord and, as, and then as a result, grew to become a very valued disciple of the, Lord, of the Apostle Paul. Now, with this, therefore, there is a new identity for Onesimus. He was no longer just a slave of Philemon, but he has become more than a slave. In fact, a brother to his master. Now, the time has come now for Onesimus to do what is right and to return to his master Philemon. Now, by this time, we all would understand that the Apostle Paul is a spiritual father both to Philemon and now also to Onesimus. So as the spiritual father, the Apostle Paul took upon himself the role of mediating between these two estranged brothers. So Paul initiated the entire process of reconciliation by writing this letter uh, to Philemon. Then he then took this letter and asked Onesimus to personally deliver it to Philemon. Now, this then paved the way for Onesimus to be accepted by Philemon. Now, we learned from last week that the letter to, the, to, to Philemon is nicely structured as a hamburger, if you still remember. And the, the entire book only has 25 verses. And in these 25 verses, it could be structured beautifully like a, like a hamburger. Okay, it starts with an, as a base, an affirmation, which you will find in verses 
1 to 7. And then in between is the patty, which is the main bulk of the book. And this is from verse 8 all the way to verse 16. And it consists of an appeal. Last week, we studied about affirmation, but this week, we'll be looking at the appeal. But next week, you'll be topped up with a nice sesame bun, if you like, uh, from verses 17 all the way to 25, where Paul gave us, at the end, an assurance. So today, we're going to be looking at the appeal. All right? So from verses 7 all the way to 16, uh, verse 8 all the way to 16, it deals with the appeal. Now, we saw also in the previous session how in the first part of the letter from verse 1 to 7, it talked about two specific affirmations that, that Paul gave to Philemon, which is basically uh, his active faith and refreshing love. So now from verse 8 to verse 16, we come to Paul's appeal to Philemon. Now verse 8, you notice, begins the preposition, therefore. And whenever we see the word therefore, one of the keys to Bible study is to ask ourselves the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Because the word therefore always links what came before with what is to come. Okay, so what was Paul talking about? Before this, now Paul was talking about Philemon's active faith and refreshing love. Now, in other words, what Paul is saying now is this: He says, Philemon, you are such a faithful and loving person. Therefore, and from there he makes his appeal, and I think it was a beautiful setup for an appeal. So, based on Philemon's readiness to refresh others, Paul is about to make his appeal. Now, I'd like you to notice that although Paul could have exercised his apostolic authority and ordered Philemon to do what is right, he has chosen not to. Okay, so let's take a look again at verse 8. Verse 8 goes like this. It says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that he had the speech authority as a speech of father, as the one who lead Philemon to Christ. He has the authority, and being an apostle, he has the apostolic authority to actually order Philemon to do what is right. But he rather not. Uh, he would rather appeal to Philemon. And, and, but by the mere mention of the fact that he had this authority, although he's not exercising it, he already was establishing his authority. Isn't that true? I mean, it's like uh, what a, a lot of uh, public speakers would often use this technique where they, they say something like, oh, due to time constraint, uh, I, I don't want to talk about this thing that I did and that thing that I did. But we all know by the mere mention of those things, even though it's in passing, they already made them known. You see, and that's the whole point. So look at verse 8 again. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you. Now let's unpack that verse a little bit more. The word bold, Paul says, I could have been bold. That word bold in the Greek is the word parousia, which actually means to be frank or without concealment or hiding. 
Now, this term is used in the context of bonus that comes out of relationship. In other words, it's not a bonus that comes out of a, a strength of personality, but it's, it is a bonus that comes out of a relationship, a depth of relationship, or what I would call relational bonus, if you like. Uh, and let me illustrate this. I was visiting my late mentor, Dwight Hill, uh, once, some time ago, many years ago. I, was, I, was actually, I came to visit him in his home. And he made coffee for me. And when he brought the coffee to me, he did not bring any sugar. And I didn't feel free to ask for it. So instead, what I tried to do was to try and drink the coffee without the sugar. But I'm one of those that don't drink coffee without sugar, or at least at that time. But now I've been trained by Holy Grounds to drink coffee without sugar. At that time, I couldn't do without sugar. So I was struggling. And he could see from my facial expression that I was struggling. So he turned to me and he asked me, do you need some sugar? And I have to sheepishly say, yes, sir. And when he came back with the sugar, I could see that he was actually quite hurt, quite offended. And then he turned to me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said to me, he said, Benny, do you mean that our relationship is such that you don't feel free even to tell me directly that you need sugar for your coffee? And that was really an eye-opener for me because as an Asian, I would probably just let that go, you know. But as an American, he, was, he had to let me know what he's thinking. And I learned a very important lesson that day. I learned that true Christian fellowship or koinonia that we talked about last week, we must come to a point where we can be frank, open, bold, transparent enough to be able to speak lovingly to one another, to speak the truth in love, to be able to, to speak without needing to hide anything. And that was what Paul is saying, Paul says, I could have been bold, I could have been frank, I could have been very transparent and do this, and, and to order you. And that's the other word he used. Uh, I could have been bold to, and order you. The word order is another interesting Greek word, epitasso, which actually means command. Do you know that this term, uh, epitasso, is often used in the, Greek, in, the, in, in the New Testament within the context of casting out demons with authority. So it's a very strong word, command. It's, it's, it's used in the context of casting out demons with great authority. And Paul is actually saying to Philemon, he's saying this, on the basis of our relationship as spiritual father and spiritual son, I could have been frank, I could have been bold, and with authority command you to do what is right, but I would rather appeal to you. And here we see the collaborative leadership style of the great Apostle Paul. See, as an apostle, he could have simply ordered his spiritual sons, Philemon and Onesimus, to do what is expected of them. But Paul would rather appeal to them so that they will do the right thing, not because they must, but because they will. They will end up doing the right thing, not because they have to, but because they want to. And he wanted them to be driven by grace and gratitude within rather than just keeping rules and regulations without. And Paul really wanted their resulting action to be life-giving and not just law-abiding. Now, in the same way, I, I try to adopt that same posture in my leadership as a senior pastor of a team of pastors and leaders. I would rather see my pastors and leaders doing what they do out of passion for God, rather than just obeying the orders that I bark at them. 
you know, and I want them to be able to, to do it, not because they have to, but because they want to. As a father raising young adults and, uh, today, I, I want to be able to appeal to my children, not to command them to do anything, because I want everything that they do to be life-giving rather than just law-abiding. And then our discipleship is truly from the inside out. I'm a firm believer that in relationships that are governed by love, don't miss this, huh? In relationships that are governed by love, an appeal is superior to a command. Appeal is superior to command. Then we know that whatever we do, it's not because we have to, but because we want to. It's not because we must, it's because we will. You see, I want people to read the Bible, not because they have to, but because they want to. I want people to pray, not because they have to, but because they want to pray. They value intimacy. They value the Word of God. And let it be discipleship that is done from the inside out. So Paul says, I don't want to command you, but I appeal to you, Philemon. Now, question. What was the basis for Paul's appeal? I want to outline Three, of the, three, three things that Paul brought up. Number one is this. On what basis did Paul appeal to Philemon to accept Onesimus back? Basis number one is this. Because of Paul's love for Onesimus. If you look at verse 9 now, he says, Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. You see, Paul very expressively uh, made clear here his affections for Onesimus by describing him as a spiritual son that is born out of, old, of his old age and adversity. So look at verse 9 and verse 10 with me. Take a look at this. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I am in chains. Now, how many of you know that this is an emotionally loaded statement? Now, it is a statement of strong appeal that makes it almost impossible for Philemon to say no. How could he say no to a spiritual father who is paying a heavy price for their common faith, who is now in chains for the sake of the gospel? I'd like you to notice that Paul, up to this point, right? We are now already in verse 9. Up to this point, Paul has not mentioned Onesimus' name even once until this point. But why? Because he's setting the stage to make this appeal. Now, we all know what it's like when we are deeply offended by somebody. Just the mere mention of their name can cause our blood to boil. And, and I think Paul was sensitive to that. And up to this point, he hasn't even mentioned Onesimus' name okay, because he knew. Uh, but he was setting the stage making that appeal so that the stage is now ready. So, number one, he said, on the basis of my love for Onesimus, I appeal to you. Number two, was the, on the basis of his integrity towards Philemon. He wanted to have integrity towards Philemon. That's why he's appealing to him, not commanding him, but appealing to him. You see, if Paul were to keep Onesimus with him, Philemon may never ever find out because they are far away from each other and we are not in the days of social media. You know, everything is done face to face, you know, or from carried messenger from one city to another. If Paul had wanted to keep Onesimus, Philemon may never ever find out. But out of a heart of integrity towards Philemon, Paul wanted to do what was right. So hear me. Ethically, 
to retain a slave, if I want to keep a slave, a runaway slave, it can only be done ethically with the owner's consent. So Paul knew he had to send Onesimus back to Philemon. That would be the ethical thing to do. And remember, Philemon himself was the one that has to bear that letter to go back to Philemon. So take a look at verse 12, right? In verse 12, Paul actually wrote this, I am sending him, referring to Onesimus, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. And that word heart, again, as we said last week, is the word splachanon. Uh, it's not the word cardia, but it's splachanon, which, which means it is not talking about the physical heart. It's talking about the object of affection. Okay, So what Paul is saying is, I am sending Onesimus, who is my object of affection, back to you. Someone that I love very much. In fact, Paul would very much like to keep Onesimus with him if he can, because Onesimus was very helpful to him in his ministry. In fact, I think Paul actually said that to Onesimus, uh, uh, said that to Philemon in verse 11. When he said, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And here there's a subtle play of words, you know, where because the word Onesimus actually means useful or profitable. But unfortunately, because of his past behavior, uh, Onesimus have not acted in a useful way. He did not live up to his name. But now Paul is saying, with his new relationship with Christ, with that transformed life that he has now, he has become, not, he's no longer useless, but he has become useful. He's living up to his name now. And useful not just to, to, uh, to Philemon, but also to the Apostle Paul. So in verse 14, he goes on to say this, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So listen, brothers and sisters, despite the strong case that Paul had in terms of his position as a father in the faith, Paul didn't want to assume anything. He felt he still needed to do what is ethically right in the eyes of men. Now, if Onesimus should actually forgive uh, if Philemon should actually forgive Onesimus and release him to go and help Paul in Ephesus, then it must be spontaneous. It cannot be forced. And that's what Paul is shooting for. Now, and, and, but do you know that when Paul sent Onesimus back, it was actually a very clear demonstration of his deep trust in both of his spiritual sons, Onesimus as well as Philemon. Why do I say that? Because when Paul gave Onesimus a letter and asked him to go back to his master, you know how easy it is for Onesimus to just take that letter and run off again? He could have done that because to go back to the master is a risk because the master actually has the right to kill him if he wants to, if he goes back. And at the same time, Paul is trusting not only Onesimus to actually take the letter and go back, he's also trusting Philemon to do the right thing, to receive Onesimus back and not to put him to death, which he has the right to do. See, but here's the thing. Philemon, even though as a slave owner, could have killed Onesimus if he wanted to, but do you know that even though ethically, Paul should send Onesimus back to Philemon. That was the right ethical thing to do. We all know that. But do you know that legally, under the Mosaic law, Paul need not have done that. 
Because the Mosaic law recognizes that slaves has no right, masters have no responsibilities. And the Mosaic law actually wants to protect that. See, and to, and to protect the slaves, to protect the weak. Do you know that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15, there's a verse that says this, If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand him over to his master. Why? Because this is tantamount to sending the slave to his death since the master has the right to put a, a runaway slave to death. And then verse 16, the next verse in Deuteronomy 23, go on to say this, but let that slave live among you wherever he likes and in whatever town he chooses, do not oppress him. And here you see the beauty of this. Ethically, Paul needed to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But legally, he not, need not have done it. Why? In, in order to protect the runaway slave. But Paul has so much trust in both Onesimus as well as Philemon that he put their relationship to the test and actually sent Onesimus back to Philemon. He knew that Onesimus would have the depth of, uh, of, of, of relationship with Christ to do the right thing and actually go back to the master. And he knew and trusted that Philemon in return will have the heart of compassion to actually forgive and receive Onesimus back. What a test of spiritual relationships here, isn't it? Now question, did this gamble pay off in the end? Now for that, you had to wait till next week to find out. So you stay tuned, stay with me because the saga continues and I'll tell you the rest of the story next week. But here, back to the text for today. The, so number one, he was appealing on the basis of his love for Onesimus on the basis of his integrity towards Philemon. And now the third thing is, and this is the trump card, it is on the basis of God's providence towards all of them. Now here is where Paul pulls out the final trump card and he introduced at this point God into the picture. He begins to introduce the providence of God. So let's take a look at verse 15 now. Here Paul begins to pull out a spiritual reason a, a, a possible reason why all this happened. And he said this, verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. What Paul is saying here is that Philemon's temporary loss. And he actually used the phrase for a little while. He was separated from you for a little while. That phrase literally means to an hour. Just one hour for a little while. This highlights the brevity of it all. But now he can have Onesimus back for good. And that phrase for good in the Greek, Aeonian, actually means forever. Forever. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? That uh, you, 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 you are separated from, your, from, from Onesimus for an hour, for just a brief moment, so that now you can have him back. You know, this useless slave that you used to have, you are separated from him for just a, one hour, just a while. But now you have him back as a useful brother forever. And do you know this word forever in the Greek has a beautiful word picture which is that of a, you know, the dry flowers that we like to put into our books and so that they become dry and flattened. And 
flowers that are, are kept this way, they actually become, they, they actually retain their form and their colour for a long time. And that's the picture you get of the word forever. You know, it's almost like now you have it, you have preserved it and it's a relationship that will last forever. Their relationship as master and slave will be temporal in this life. But their newfound relationship as brothers in the Lord will be forever. And that's the beauty of this. And this phrase that Paul just used in verse 15, um, the, the reason you're separated from you for a little while is that you, you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. This sentence is so loaded because it has two big implications. And here's a prophetic burden I have for you this morning in this message. Here's a prophetic burden. The two implications of this verse in verse 15 is this. They now have a new relationship. Don't miss this. They now have a brand new relationship. Verse 16 says, No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Now there's a new relationship between Philemon and Onesimus that transcends that of being masters and slaves. They are now brothers in Christ. It is like as if God allowed Onesimus to go so that he can gain a new identity in Christ and then he allowed Philemon to go through this temporary loss so that now he can regain not just a useless slave but he has now gained back a useful brother. So that's the root of it. They now have a new relationship. And as a result of that new relationship, the second thing that it implies is they have a new response towards each other. So you look at verse 16b now. He is very dear to me, Paul says, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Listen, brothers and sisters, with this new relationship, Paul challenged Philemon to have a new response. And how many of you agree? This is very, very demanding on Philemon. When Paul called Onesimus a dear brother, you know what he has done? He has literally placed all the parties onto a same level. That's what it means. They used to be master and slave. Now Paul calls them brothers, which means that the gap between, the power gap between the master and the slave is now flattened and they have become brothers in the Lord. You know, with this new relationship, there must be a new response. And he, that's the point. That's the whole point of this epistle. The Apostle Paul put it another way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28. Listen to this. Paul says in Galatians 3, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, every barrier has been broken. Every dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. Every playing field has been levered because of the cross of Calvary. Do you realize what Paul is saying here? The ethnic divide between Jews and Gentiles, Asians and Caucasians, black and white, they are broken in Jesus' name. 
the power gap, you know, the power divide between slave and free, employers, employees, rich and poor, educated, illiterate, they are broken in Jesus' name. The gender divide between male and female, they are demolished in Jesus' name. And now we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the new relationship we have. That's a really good point to shout an amen and to type an amen into your comments section. And is that true? This is what it's all about. The cross of Jesus Christ, the redemptive work of God has literally leveled the playing field. And now I'd like you to notice this. All this is done not through political activism or just public demonstration, but it was through the power of the gospel to change the hearts of men from the inside out. It all begins with a new relationship we have with Jesus Christ that results in a new response that we will have towards others. It is a new response, not just towards our brothers and sisters in the church, but I think also to those outside of the church. Because of what Jesus has done for us, out of the heart of gratitude and grace now, that's how we respond to other people. And that is why God takes His transformed people, that's you, that's me, and He plants us into different arenas of society so that we can become salt and light you know, in a decaying and darkened world to make a difference. And it's not by venting, it's not by decrying all the wrongs that are going on around us. You know, when we, we, we do that, when we just become a voice to complain and lament and decry all the wrong that's going on in society, we polarize our society. That's not our goal. But what, what we hope to see is what, what Eugene Peterson, the great, um, the great uh, pastor of pastors, Eugene Peterson calls it a subversive change. A subversive change. You're like the little yeast that, that leavens the whole loaf, you see. And listen, in other words, the transforming power of the gospel disrupts an existing system quietly, subtly, without bringing attention to itself. But yet real change is happening from the inside out. Let me say that again. The transforming power of the gospel has this ability to disrupt an existing system quietly, subtly, without bringing attention to itself. But yet real change is happening from the inside out. I, I saw this, uh, I learned this because of a vivid example that I saw uh, through a, a, a friend of mine, uh, actually a fellow soldier, when I was going through my, doing my stint uh, in the national service in Singapore, this soldier friend of mine was just a very ordinary uh, soldier. He wasn't even an officer, he's just a lance corporal, I think, a very low-ranked person. But he was a beautiful Christian. And everybody knows that because of the demeanor. He, and he conducted himself with such a sweet and godly spirit. Everybody knows he's a Christian. He's always helpful, always kind. And he will go out of his way just to be positive, to be encouraging to people around him. He never drew any attention to himself. But he was just always there as a quiet, godly influence. I remember up to today, when all the other soldiers would be cursing and swearing and, you know, vulgarities everywhere. They would smoke and, and they would drink and they, and, and they would watch porn, you know, in, in their barracks and all of that. He would never participate. 
he never, he, he, he never cursed them or uh, he, he, he never pointed them out for all this, but he simply walked away. He was just that quiet, steady, godly influence. And then I begin to notice something over time. I begin to notice a change that come upon the camp. I mean, I noticed that people will stop swearing when they are around him. Uh, they will just tone down their complaints when he's around. They switch off the pawn, you know, when he walks into the room. They just knew that there was some different spirit in this place. And it, and it just changed things from in a very quiet, subversive way. My friend was disrupting the existing system and changing the atmosphere around him. That, my brothers and sisters, is the transforming power of the gospel at work. And it begins from the inside out. It starts with a new redemptive relationship in Christ that demands a new loving response to others. Can I take that whole idea and now apply it to us personally? Paul challenged us in Galatians 5.1. Now this is for all of us. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And Paul reminds us here, we all have a new relationship in Christ. We have been set free by the power of the cross and we must stand firm in this freedom that we have in Christ. And He whom the Son set free, we are free indeed. Somebody type Amen. You know, this is the new relationship we have with God. So what then is the new response that we all should have? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, go on to say this. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. How do we effectively bring about change and transformation to the people, to the, the situations and the atmosphere around us? Galatians 5.16 goes on to give us the key, which is this. So Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the new response to our new relationship in Christ. We no longer walk in the flesh, but we walk in the Spirit. We are no longer self-dependent, but we become spirit-dependent. And may God, through His life-changing power of the gospel and the divine power of the Holy Spirit, transform all of us more and more from the inside out to be more and more like His Son so that together we can impact our city for God. We carry the same Spirit of God into our neighbourhood, into our offices, into our workplaces, into our schools and our campuses. And then we subversively, quietly, we will change our world. Let me end this morning with this. Our world is right now going through a great time of shaking because of COVID-19. And during this time of shaking, there are many who are going through very, very tough times, very difficult, trying situation. Some of us have even lost a lot of resources, lost jobs and investments and all of that. There are many, many people right now looking for answers and looking for hope. I believe this is a time for the Church of Jesus Christ to shine. This is a time for us to go in the opposite spirit. And instead of looking after number one, we're looking after ourselves. We will seek to be a blessing to a world in need. In a time when we are most undeserving, Jesus Christ came to die for us. 
because He loved us, He died for us. And because of the cross, we now have a new relationship with our Heavenly Father. And therefore, we must have a new response towards everything that is happening around us. So my prayer is that God would really give us new eyes, just like He gave new eyes to, to Philemon, to see Onesimus. May God give us new eyes to see our world and give green. God give us a new heart to love our neighbour. This is my prayer for us this morning. You know, wherever you are, in your living room, as you put aside your notes in your Bible, there may be some of us that are going through very, very tough times, very difficult moments. Some of us are going through a lot of losses and we are feeling it. There's a sense of dreariness. There could be a sense of despair and hopelessness. I want you to know that this is the best time for us to just return to God. That in a time when we are so in need, you know, our God stands ready. We have a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, a God who says to us, cast your burdens, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. This is a great time for us to come back and to renew our relationship with God. And once you have a new relationship with Him, we can begin to have a new response to the things that are happening around us. In exchange for all of our fears, God can give us His courage. In exchange for all of our despair, God can give us His hope. In exchange for all of our, of our sense of loneliness, God can give us His comfort. I think God is present today. Our Lord Jesus is present today to actually do a divine exchange with you. So wherever you are in your living rooms, or in, or you, in front of your, your devices, this is what I'd like us to do. Would you just bow your hearts and open your hearts and just lift up your hands before God and allow me to pray that God will come and do a divine exchange within your heart. And I want you to know that when you come to the Lord Jesus and you renew a relationship with Him, He will give you a new response to everything that is going on around us. And then all of a sudden, we know we cannot depend on ourselves, but we will depend on Him. And we walk in the Spirit and we will not end up gratifying the desires of the flesh. We will not let the flesh gain control, but we let the Holy Spirit take control. So if there's something you need to do, if you need to do that divine exchange, would you just, wherever you are, bow your hearts before God, lift your hands before Him and allow me to pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you come and do a divine exchange in all of our hearts. Lord, we exchange our fears for your courage. We exchange our hopelessness for your hope. We exchange our despair for your comfort. We exchange our loneliness for your presence. Lord, come and do renew our hearts, renew our relationship with you so that we can have a new response to all that is going on around us. Lord, just like you have given Philemon new eyes to look at Onesimus, give us new eyes to see the people around us, to see our world and to see the people around us that are also in need. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you come and you come and renew us this morning. Give us a new relationship, a renewed relationship with you and a fresh new response to all that is going on around us. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. And with your head bowed, your eyes still closed, and maybe some of us here, maybe you join us for the first time, maybe the second time, but you have not personally received Jesus Christ into your life. And as we talk about this new relationship that we can have with God, maybe in your heart you're saying, Brother Benny, how can I have this new relationship with God? Then I'm here to let you know that you know, we all recognize that we have done bad things, we have done wrong things in our life, we are all sinners. But the good news, that even though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God promises in His Word that, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And John chapter 3, verse 16, tell us this, for God so loved the world, God so loved you, He so loved me, that He gave His only begotten Son. And on that cross, Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled back to God. And you can have this brand new relationship with God. And once you have a brand new relationship with God, He will give you a brand new response to life. And if you're here watching this live stream today and you would say, Brother Benny, I want to have this new relationship with God, then I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a very simple prayer where you will, you will admit that you, are, you have done wrong, that you are, we are all sinners, but you want God's forgiveness and you will put your trust in what Jesus has done for you when He died for you on the cross, shed His blood so that your sins can be washed away, so that your sins can be forgiven. If this is your desire, would you just pray this prayer after me and you make it your prayer. So join me as I, as I pray, you pray as well in your heart. Okay, so let me lead you in this. You say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I've done many wrong things. I confess that I'm a sinner. My life is full of sin. But today I know that you love me so much that Jesus came and he died for me on the cross. He shed his blood so that my sins can be washed away, so that my sins can be forgiven. So I come to you this morning and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person. Give me your love, your joy and your peace. Give me a new relationship with you. And I pray and I thank you that you promised me in the Bible that if I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, then I can be saved. Today I believe and I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I thank you for saving me. Help me from this day on to know you as my God and my Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have just prayed the prayer with me, then I want you to know right now, Jesus comes into your life and He will make you a new person. He forgive you of your sin. And from this day on, you can have a new relationship with God. And as a result, you can have a new response to life. If you have prayed that prayer, would you just let, let me know? Because I really want to know if you have prayed that prayer. Would you just key into the comment section that I prayed that prayer? And one of us will be happy to come and follow up with you and let you know more about this decision that we have just made. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a Facebook, you can also go to fcc.life and you just key in there and let us know that you prayed this prayer.
and we would love to follow up with you. Thank you for doing that. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining me this morning in our, in, in our service. You know, I'm looking forward to next week where I can bring this whole study to a climax and we talk about the assurance that the Apostle Paul gave to me. And I can't wait to tell you what a beautiful picture of the gospel is seen in this final chapter, in this final part of the book of Philemon. So I look forward to see you next week. So may you have a fantastic week ahead. God bless you.